Have you ever walked past the dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Chevy. And we're both here live well not by the time you listen to it but live right now in the same room we're in the same room yes and happy to be (laughs) absolutely all right and this is episode 50 can you believe that the big 5-0 which means we only took like four episodes off last year (laughs) um and they were mostly, I mean, we try to put this podcast out regularly, but realistically, like, we're not making any money off of this, this podcast at all, like a lot of other podcasts. And so we do it out of the... The labor of love. It's a labor of love, and as long as you get one a week, I think you're happy. But this one will most likely be coming out on Friday because we are recording on Thursday night, and you have to work at 6 a.m., so... Life gets in the way. It's true. So this week... I I don't know if we've done, besides Johnny Gosh, I don't know if we've done a bunch of missing ones, like not presumed dead or anything, and not necessarily, you know, evidence of foul play or anything, but mysterious disappearances or vanishings and stuff like that has always been such a huge interest of mine, and I get so overwhelmed with going down rabbit holes in my mind and on the internet that I think that sometimes I just refrain from doing them for our podcast because there's just too many possibilities, you know? I feel like you like a nice ending to the story. Yeah, well, not nice, but I think that I like an ending. A linear story. Correct. I mean, and this is a linear story, but there isn't necessarily an end in mind. And so to kind of celebrate our 50th episode... I thought we would do a mysterious disappearance. Yeah, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure at the end. Yeah, and we can talk about that. But before we start the case of Bryce Laspiza, which has been on my mind for years at this point, I thought we would go through a list of ones that keep me up at night or keep other people up at night. Basically, interesting ones. Okay. And some of which we've actually done on the show. So the first one is pretty obvious. Growing up, it was one of the biggest mysteries ever. Amelia Earhart. (laughs) I did not see that one coming. (laughs) I mean, I was obsessed with Amelia Earhart growing up because I just, I wanted to know what happened to her and the whole Bermuda Triangle thing and all that, you know, it freaked me out. I'm pretty, I'm, I think it's safe to say she's probably in hollow earth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like all of the celebrities just having a good old time. Um, and also, I just wanted to note that she's not the only one that went missing. She also had a navigator with her named Fred Noonan, and they were attempting to fly around the world when their plane disappeared in, over the Pacific Ocean on July 2nd, 1937. And since then, no trace of them or their plane has ever been recovered. Which, I mean, it's open water, so I mean, I it's not that surprising. I was going to say, the surprising. Pacific Ocean's pretty, pretty big, big. and pretty deep, yeah. And when they were trying to do that, there wasn't, you know, like, flight trackers yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion. We're never going to know. They crashed into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So, the next one on the list is actually one we did last year, which is the Sodder Children. And I was like, wait, that's a disappearance? And yeah, th- not all of the kids were found dead in the fire. I kind of forgot right. that. So um, I think that's what, like probably like episode like 16 or something. It was around Christmas time last year because that's when the crime occurred. But the Sauter family home caught fire in 1945 and four of their children escaped. The other, wait. Oh, four of their children escaped and then the other five were never found. So like, I guess they never found hu- human remains in the fire. So they just vanished. And I think we went through theories and stuff. They hitched they were... a ride with Amelia. <laughs> Maybe. 
probably one of the most famous. I mean, obviously, Amelia Earhart's super duper famous, but probably the one of the most famous, like, head scratchers of all time is D.B. Cooper. <laughs> yeah. And so if you don't know about D.B. Cooper, which you probably do, he is one of the most infamous mugshots out there on November 24th. So it's kind of a Thanksgiving crime. Oh. Well. Oh, maybe that's, yeah. Past the pie. <laughs> on the afternoon of November 24th, 1971, a nondescript man calling himself Dan Cooper approached the counter of the Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland, Oregon. He used cash to buy a one-way ticket on flight number 305, bound for Seattle, Washington. He was in his mid-40s. He was wearing a business suit with black tie and a white shirt. He ordered a bourbon and soda and passed the stewardess a note indicating that he had a bomb and that she should sit with him. And then he handed her another note to take to the captain that said he wanted... $200,000 in a parachute in $20 bills. Well, $200,000 in $20 bills and a parachute. In four parachutes, actually. Why four? That's a lot of money. I don't know. That's a lot of parachutes, too. <laughs> Maybe in case... I don't know why you would need four, but I don't. I think you only needed one. Um, Maybe the stewardess was hot. And he wanted her to go with, yeah. yeah. So when the flight landed in Seattle, the hijacker exchanged the flight's 36 passengers for the money and parachutes, and then he kept a couple of the crew members, and they took off again, this, this time in the direction of Mexico City, and then somewhere between Seattle and Reno, a little after 8 p.m., the hijacker did the unthinkable, well... It's not that unthinkable because, well, I mean, he had parachutes. kind of gives it away. <laughs> he jumped out of the back of the plane with the ransom money and, a, I guess, an extra parachute. I don't know. So, I, you know, Seattle and Reno are very far apart. Well, again, this is, where exactly? like, this is 1971. So I think their guess is that that they don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a good guess. <laughs> I mean, obviously, technology has changed, and I, I, that's just the range it was. And I got this from the FBI website, and so that's what the FBI says. Well, so, then we know it's suspect. <laughs> the FBI said it. So, somewhere in between Seattle and Reno, which is kind of Portland. Well, Portland like... is definitely between those two <laughs> cities, yes. Uh, so, yeah, he jumped out and was never, uh, he disappeared into the night. Which is crazy. And there's been a lot of people who have found like money washed up places like from that time period. Oh, good story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Was it from 1971? I didn't check the date, but I did buy beer. (laughs) That was one of the biggest, most notable disappearances probably on the list besides Amelia Earhart. And then another one, which is really big, which we also covered in a very early episode was Johnny Gosh when we did like our kidnappings. Yeah, that's and a big one. It's a very big one. And if you need a little refresher, I don't know if you want to go back and listen to it because who knows? That was like episode 20 or something. You can take the way back machine. You did the research for that one. Yeah, it's a banger. <laughs> he was a 12-year-old paperboy in Des Moines, Iowa, who disappeared without a trace between 6 and 7 a.m. on September 5th. 1982, and he is presumed to have been kidnapped. As of 2020, there have been no arrests made, and the case is now considered cold, but remains open. And his mom is still super vocal and always available to, like, talk, I guess. She just really puts herself out there. She 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 still believes that her son is still alive and that he has visited her, like, in the middle of the night before. You know... And her name was Noreen. That's the mom's name. Noreen Gosh. I think calling the episode a banger is um, maybe a bit of a... Misnomer? No. Uh, it sucks. Poor taste. Yeah, I mean... Because the theory is that he got smuggled into like child sex, sex rings. Yeah, so yeah. I wasn't... I was saying like a head banger. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just have to clarify because sometimes my subconscious... Takes the best of you, yeah. <laughs> smarter than me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a really, really sad case. Um, there's part of me that hopes he's still alive, and there's part of me that hopes that he didn't go through the horrendous things that he potentially went through. Yeah, but, you know, 
it kind of sheds light on a lot of these rings that do exist. Yeah, absolutely. Even though some people that I know don't want to believe it. AKA my dad who doesn't listen to this podcast. That's okay. Yeah. So Carl, wake the fuck <laughs> up, dude. <laughs> this shit exists, unfortunately so. Dr. Carl. Yeah. So this one is super, I mean, they're all fucking crazy. The case of Maura Murray is super interesting and sad and just such a head scratcher. If you want to deep dive into Maura Murray, I just don't see us ever covering it. It's been so extensively covered. There's whole podcast just dedicated to Maura Murray. I think True Crime Garage does a really good job. They did have like a two-parter or maybe even three-parter on her. And then later on, somewhat recently, I would say maybe within the last six months, True Crime Garage actually ended up interviewing uh, her sister uh, who shed a bunch more light on the case. But again, it is unsolved. So she was just 21 years old, um, Maura Murray, when she disappeared in 2004. She was a nursing student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and emailed her professors that she would be missing the next week of classes due to a death in the family. However, there was no such death in the family. She was just using it as an excuse. The last time she was seen was on the side of the road after her car had allegedly skidded off. A bus driver told police that he had offered to call for help, but he said that she replied that she had already called for roadside assistance. The bus driver got home, felt like there was something off, and called the police anyhow. And by the time the authorities arrived, she was gone, and there has been no trace of her since. And that was 16 years ago. It's crazy. I also believe that before she went to this, the Amherst University, she actually was, what's the fancy military school? Oh, uh, fuck. Uh, I want to say Antioch, but it's not. It's, um, what's it called? I know. People I, had, are, I had it at the tip of my tongue. And I, and West Point. That's the one I was thinking Yeah. Of. I believe she was one of the very, very few women at West Point. And it's really interesting because she started to kind of spiral. I mean, for most people, I mean, no, she did start to spiral. I think she didn't want to be there anymore. But again, if you want to deep dive into that case, it's super duper interesting. You know, one that I was thinking about that I didn't put on the list that I'll just stick in right here is the Panama Girls. I'd like to cover that one of these days. It's, it's super, it's so creepy. It's these two women go to Panama and while they're on a hike, they take a bunch of like, basically the only evidence we have of them are random digital pictures that they've left behind and self, some cell phone uh, records. And it's just um, the pictures that they left behind are super creepy and very open for interpretation. They've never been found. It's it's really really sad, but it's a lot of times that they're referred to as the Lost Girls of Panama. The next one, uh, man, is this one kind of keeps me up at night too, just because I just wonder how something like this could happen. Brian Schaefer, so he was a 27 year old Ohio State medical student who disappeared on April 1st, 2006. That night, security cameras recorded him entering a Columbus bar with his friends, but not leaving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Friends and family wonder if he was grieving the death of his mother, who had passed away from cancer recently, and that maybe he intentionally slipped out of the bar, never to be heard from again, or if he intended to get away temporarily to clear his head and then something terrible happened to him, or if he got kidnapped by someone and snuck into, like, the service elevator. It's just a really... Really sad case. Again, True Crime Garage does a great deep dive with them, with um, his story. So if you want to learn more about him, I highly recommend that podcast. I think it's a really, really popular case. He's a very good-looking white medical student who had a beautiful fiancé who was supposed to go on a trip to Mexico with, like, the next day or, like, the next week. So he had a lot of things going for him, and which is why I think... The case bothers a lot of people is that he had literally everything going for him. He had a loving family. He had a uh, I, people say that actually she wasn't his fiance, but he had a loving girlfriend he was going on vacation with. He had really good friends. He was always happy. So why would he want to slip away from his life? Which is a question we're going to be asking ourselves in a little bit. The next one is 
another college student, I think that tends to be kind of a trend too, is that we tend to care a lot about white college students because there's the idea that they have promising futures. And I think that it bothers a lot of people that potentially these educated, good looking white folks never will get the chance or potentially not get the chance to live out their, you know, destiny or, you know, their bright future. That last one kind of reminds me of the Shanghai tunnels in Portland. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's a... It, Is there a trap door at this bar? Who knows? It's a it's, basement it's, dungeon? It's, it's Pizza ske- gate? It's sketchy as fuck. It's sketchy as fuck. And there was some construction going on at the bar as well. So there may have been like another potential entrance and all that stuff. So again, mm. I think the true crime garage guys do a really excellent job with the case. So yeah, the next one is Lauren Spearer. Spearer. She disappeared at the Indiana University in 2011. And she was a 20 year old, cute little tiny blonde girl who vanished after spending the early morning hours partying at a downtown bar in Bloomington, Indiana. She was last seen walking alone outside of a classmate's off-campus apartment. She was barefoot, and she was last seen around 4.30 a.m. on June 3rd, 2011, and she's never been seen or heard from ever again. I think Indiana is not the best place to go walking around wasted if you're a cute little blonde-haired chick with no shoes on. Yeah, I... But I definitely don't want to victim blame or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's really a great idea, man or woman, white or other, to be doing that anyways. You know? Yeah. You're a target. You're, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not trying to victim blame, but you are a target. Next mystery. <laughs> the Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. This one has given me nightmares. Really? Yeah. More than 200 people were on board of this Malaysian uh, Airlines Flight 370, and it vanished mid-air on March 8th, 2014, and nothing has ever... I mean, I can understand the Amelia Earhart thing, but this happened six years ago, and it's 200 people. I thought people. they found this one. No, it's never been found. I thought it was shot down. Nope. I, I don't think that there's clear evidence. I didn't, you know, do a deep dive on it, but I just think about the idea of just disappearing mid-air. I mean, this shit is like some lost shit, you know? Maybe they just flew through a Stargate and then they're they're in an alternate or like another dimension. Or it's just... Whatever. And but like... It's awesome there. No COVID. No election. What if they're on a desert island? Yeah, in the middle of the earth. <laughs> well, that wouldn't really be an island then, but okay. <laughs> so that one just... Yeah, that one just kind of keeps me up at night sometimes. The next one is... One that I've heard about recently on a couple of podcasts. It's the case of Rico Harris, who was a promising basketball star who ran into some issues with drugs and alcohol and kicked the habit in 2007. And then seven short years later in 2014, he was in a long distance relationship with a woman in Seattle. He was in the process of moving in with her and getting a job up there. But he wanted to make one last trip down to the L.A. suburb of Alhambra to visit his family. And after doing that, Harris left at midnight. He, he like, had gone from Seattle to Alhambra back to Seattle all without sleeping. So he was on, like, yeah, hour... Driving, thir- right? Yeah, he was on, like, hour 30-something of having no sleep. And, like, people were like, dude, take a nap. And he was like, no, I'm fine. At least take some more meth. Well, that's possibly what he was doing. So they uh, there is there is obviously theories that he relapsed during this time. And on October tenth, twenty fourteen, he started the seventy hour drive back to Seattle. <laughs> that's dude. I know we've done the drive from it's, Portland it to LA so many times. It's fucking. But could you do, could you imagine going there and all the way back? Yeah, not without same... a lot of meth. Come on. So he had to get back because his job interview was scheduled for the following day. I don't think anybody. This guy's a very poor planner. (laughs) I know. Well, I also think he was having a little bit of a mental break, obviously. Maybe from not sleeping. Yes. So he was driving north on the I-5, which we've done a million times. Investigators determined that he last purchased gas in Lodi, about 40 miles south of Sacramento. And at 1045 a.m., he called his girlfriend, from north of Sacramento and left a message saying that he was going into the mountains 
And then about half an hour later, he turned his phone off and he was never heard from ever again. And then, yeah, it's just his car was just like abandoned at the side of the road. And a couple found his backpack and they like took it home to be like, whatever. And um, they figured out like, oh, crap, this is a missing person's backpack. And they handed it over to police. And it's just really questionable as to like what happened to him. But there's nothing really in the backpack that could give them much think that yeah even like they were saying that there was like maybe remnants of like drug paraphernalia but that's also been like disproven as well was it was his car found near weed i um i mean lodi but it was i think near weed going into the mountains like yeah shasta yeah i suspect and there might be more info than obviously i'm giving but we're doing a bunch of mini cases right now yeah sasquatch with the munchies I also just want to point out that a lot of the missing cases that I've highlighted are white people because the fact is that is what is put out there. And so I'm being disproportionately, you know, I don't know as many, I don't know as much about missing uh, women and men of color than, you know, Rico Harris was a, a man of color, but everybody else I believe is white. And so... It's just something like to think about as, you know, like these are things that I kind of obsess about and think about a lot. And it makes me kind of like question like why those cases and not others, you know. And part of it is that I think that law enforcement or the public doesn't necessarily see people of color as missing. They see them as oh, they must have just walked away, runaways, you know? That there isn't the same kind of investigation or emphasis placed on people of color than there are white people. Like, why would a white person want to be disappeared, you know? I think that there maybe there's some of that. Yeah, there's definitely some of that happening. I think a lot and I think of it's it is changing. sensationalism. You know, it's like newspapers and stuff want to sell their Well, yeah, and that's blonde, products, hair, you know? blonde hair, blue-eyed white people sell. right. And so I think that obviously the tides are changing because even the Rico Harris case is somewhat recent compared to everything else. And I am becoming more privy to the missing and, and, uh, and murdered women, like indigenous women in the United States right? and more stuff like that. And so is Canada. There is um, the they actually call it the Highway of Tears, which yeah. is a major highway where women go missing or, and are found murdered in Canada. So it's 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 a rampant thing in all of North America. Conquest is a bitch. Yep. <laughs> okay. So I just I, mean, I just, ugly, I, just I just want to point that out. I really did just pick cases off the top of my head, and when I kind of realized, wow, the, all of the cases that we're highlighting are not people of color. It just kind of came to mind like those are the I don't know a ton of cases of people of color. I also think it's kind of regional, I, you know, because like obviously, like if you lived in Mexico, you would know about all the women um, yes. that go mi- missing there or, you know. And and women do go missing there. There's the dirty war and all kinds of stuff. And the narcos. The women, the missing women of war. their heads for basketball practice. Exactly. And I just, I don't know as much about that because also we don't get that information. But I'm saying like in That's the United States, but in the United States, there are plenty of people of color who go missing and are murdered, you know, that we just don't know as much about because they're just not highly publicized yeah. like other people. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, serial killers going after women of color that are sex workers is a thing because they know that, you know, people aren't looking for them. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a thing. And it's changing. Yes. But that's, I'm just, I was just being honest with my list I could have put more people of color in my list, but I also recognize that I just don't know those cases. And so I have to be a little more mindful when looking for cases that the ones that people kind of obsess over and make podcasts about and make disappeared episodes about and all of that stuff tend to be the quote unquote perfect victims, which are white, blonde, cute, often college students. Which, you know, Bryce Lespiza, which we're about to talk about in just a moment, he is all of those things except for he's intensely a a ginger. Yeah. He's one of the most intense gingers I've ever seen before in my life. He's got a shocking head of red hair. 
He's the poster boy of Ireland. Exactly, yeah. He's he got, is the lucky charm he's got, leprechaun, but a giant version. The only thing is he doesn't have green eyes. I think he has blue eyes, and they're ice blue. They're He's just very red-haired and blue-eyed. So let me tell you about Bryce Laspiza. He was born on April 30th, 1994, which is, gosh, he's so young. If he was alive, if he's alive today, he would be 10 years younger than me, so he'd be 26 years old. His parents are Karen and Michael Laspiza. And in 2012, Bryce graduated from Naperville High in Naperville, Illinois. Soon after, his family relocated to Laguna Niguel, which is in Orange County in Southern California. And he was an only child. And by all accounts, he was showered with love and support and attention. And his parents just absolutely loved him. But he did have red hair. And they didn't. Yeah. She's, I wonder what their male Red-headed name Red-headed like. stepchild, even though he's the only child. No, they, they loved him a whole bunch. Okay. <laughs> so, like I said, the family moved from uh, to Laguna Niguel. But because Bryce was already done with high school, he moved to Chico. Do you know Chico? Have you yeah. been there? Yeah. Okay. So he moved to Chico to go to the community college there, which is interesting. And that was called Sierra College. And he was about to start his second year at this point. So he had one first successful year. And also during that time, so he really, like his family moved. He moved away from everything he knew, but which isn't that crazy when you're 18 years old. At least they like waited for him to be done with high school to move him away, you know? And he could have stayed, I'm sure, in Chicago if he wanted to or in Naperville if he wanted to. I don't know why I said Chicago. It's just Illinois. I mean, he could have gone anywhere to college that he wanted to, but he ended up going to Sierra College in Chico. And... Um, He actually found a girl that he really liked named Kim Sly. She's this really cute blonde girl. She lived about, I think about 90 miles away from him. I don't know actually how he met her, but he actually had done well in his first year of school and he had a girlfriend. So he definitely was like doing well for himself. So in the late summer of 2013, Bryce Laspiza was 19 years old, starting his second year of college. I just wanted to point out that I got most of my info from a web sleuth timeline, which I had some issues with the dates. And so I've cross-referenced them with a bunch of other websites. Um, the web sleuth, I think, is accurate, but I think other ones weren't. So No one has their story straight. It's, oh gosh, this is a nightmare of a story because there's just, like, we're going to zero in on just, like, a couple of days here. Um, I also watched the Disappeared episode on ID Discovery, uh, episode four, season seven, I believe. It's called The Road to Nowhere, and it's the thing that's probably the most referenced in podcasts and blogs and stuff about him because it's really, really thorough, and they interview the families and the detectives and the private investigator that the family hired. So it's it's definitely got a lot of information. I also got information from the True Crime Times blog, True Crime Society, from the Facebook page of Find Bryce Laspiza that's run by his parents, and of course, Reddit. And one of our favorite podcasts, Sinisterhood, has an episode on him that I listened to quite a while ago, which wasn't the first time I had heard of the case, but it definitely renewed my interest in it. And so here's the story of Bryce Laspiza's disappearance. On Monday, August 26th, 2013, Bryce goes to class. The mother states that that she had a good, normal conversation with him and that there was a photo taken of him that day where he appears smiling and happy. On Tuesday, August 27th, Bryce's girlfriend notes that he is acting weird and his roommate, Sean Dixon, claims that Bryce had taken the drug Vivance to help him stay awake to play video games all night, and that he had also been drinking hard alcohol throughout the day. And mixing those two things is very dangerous, especially if Vivance is not prescribed to you, which it was not. So that's an ADHD drug, right? Exactly, and it's a lot like Adderall, where it has an amphetamine effect. And if, if you don't have ADHD... It's like being on crack. And if you do, 
it helps to focus your mind and it actually will even slow you down because people with ADHD have a different chemical going on and the, and the Vyvanse and Adderall help to kind of slow that mechanism down if you have ADHD, but if you don't, it just has an amphetamine effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get lit. Yeah. So he was doing an upper and a downer at the same time, which is always like a scary combo. Speedball. Yeah. So basically he was doing speedballs to stay up and be fucked up with playing video games with his friends. And uh, some people say that during this kind of time period, like I don't think this was a one and done thing. During this time period, he was drinking like two hand, not handles, but two fifths of alcohol each weekend. Like hard alcohol. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not crazy for a college student. 19 years old. I don't know if he had built up a tolerance to it or what. That's kind of a lot. It, it, it is a lot. Yeah. But it's not crazy. Y- yeah. But you're I, also talking I, I to me. I think it's crazy, okay? <laughs> and if you're talking you're, to me, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, you're a little Miss Goody Two-Shoes, <laughs> but I am not. So that same day, Bryce's behavior grew even more concerning when he gave away some of his belongings to friends. I believe I read one account that said it was an Xbox he gave away. That's a, re- that's a red flag. And he also gave away a pair of diamond earrings, actually, that his mom gave him. He wore diamond earrings? Yeah. I mean, he was kind of like one of those. Like Eminem? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, really, he was very built. He's like, he was not a bad looking guy at all, but very much probably, like, looks like he is into rap music, buzzed head. You know, I'll, I'll explain, like, his physical appearance later on, but he's got some tattoos and... You know, wears like basketball shorts and wife beaters and, you know, he, he was he would definitely Justin Timberlake also wear like Justin Timberlake, Eminem, like that was kind of his style. My sister. <laughs> Heather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, your sister is Marky Mark style. <laughs> There's a difference. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But white hip hop style. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just super redheaded, very, very cute smile, very charming looking and very, very well built. But yeah, by by all accounts, he was fun to hang out with and people really liked him. He was the life of the party. So him giving away these things was a little odd. On Wednesday, the 28th at 10 p.m., Sean actually called Bryce's mother to express his concern. He actually said that they had many concerns, one of which was him completely acting out of character and that he had broken up with his like beloved girlfriend, Kim, the previous night, telling her that she would be better off without him. His roommate also said that he indicated that Bryce had indicated that something was bothering him, but never explained what it was. And then a couple of hours later, Bryce himself called his parents and despite dumping Kim the night before, he had driven her to her house in Chico. Okay, so he wasn't living in Chico. She was living in Chico. I'm getting Wasn't a little that, That's confused. where the college was. Well, I don't know where Sierra College is now. I think it's in Chico. Well, but she's in Chico. She lived by the college, perhaps. But I think they lived 90 miles apart. Well, now I'm confused. I know. I need to double check where is Sierra College. It's in Rockland, California. So it's not Chico. I think it's further... North, south, north. Okay, which Chico. one is it? <laughs> they're not. They're not next to each other. Okay. okay, sounds like they're maybe eighty miles apart. Ninety, give or take. <laughs> so Bryce insisted that he was okay, but Kim got on the phone and told Karen, his mom, that he wasn't acting like himself, and she didn't think that he should be driving, and she was trying to withhold his keys from him. And so his mom told Bryce on the phone, "Hey." I'm going to fly up there and come see you. And he urged her not to come and that he would be fine and that he had a lot to talk to her about and he would talk to her when he would see her. And so then he left Kim's house in Chico around 11.30 p.m., which this do- the timeline does start to get funky because it does seem like longer. That seems like it's like a 12-hour night. <laughs> but, you know. So on the 29th, which is Thursday... At 1 a.m., the phone rang at the Laspiza house. They missed the call probably because they were sleeping. 
and didn't think much of it. It was from their son. And she believed, Karen believed that her son had driven back to his apartment and was calling just to let her know that he made it home safely because it's about a probably around an hour and a half drive, right? So later on, phone records would indicate that Bryce made the call when he was in a desolate area about an hour away from his apartment in Rockland. Okay. So at 9 a.m. on Thursday, the 29th, Bryce runs out of gas near Button Willow, the Button Willow rest area, which is west of Bakersfield, which is just a shithole. <laughs> yeah. So at noon, so three hours after that, a roadside assistance service man named Christian from Castro Tires in Buttonwillow, he delivers three gallons of gas to Bryce according to a $20 credit credit card purchase for the fuel. And he wasn't answering his phone, according to his mother. Concerned, Karen and Michael both tried to phone their son, but he wouldn't answer any of their calls. So they so this just, is like around noon? Yes. And so they just figured, you know, he's about three hours away. He'll be home by like 3 p.m. So whatever. They, they're not alarmed at this point. They're concerned, but not alarmed. So when three hours or so later happens and he's not home, now they start to worry. They actually called the Castro Tire and Gas Place, the guy Christian. So did... Th- did Christian contact his parents? How, how did they... They looked at their credit card charge. Because this is 2013, oh. so they're able to look at things in real time, like online. So they're like, oh, man, he must have ran out of gas at Button Willow. So they knew they could see the charge to okay. Castro Tire gotcha. and Gas. Yeah. They actually called Castro Tire and Gas and got this guy named Christian on the phone, who is an angel. And they actually asked him, hey, since you're only like 15 minutes away from our son and we're like three hours... Can you go check on him to see if he's still there? And he was like, uh, that was like three hours ago. Like, I don't think he's still there, but sure, I'll go. So when he arrived, (laughs) Bryce was sitting exactly in the same spot where he had left him three hours earlier. So when Christian asked Bryce what he was doing, Bryce simply replied, nothing. (laughs) Christian informed Karen that Bryce seemed okay, but that his eyes were a little red. I also, it, it didn't go into detail on a lot of the websites, but I think they even asked Christian to, like, hand the phone over to Bryson or oh. to Bryce where he, like, said, yeah, I'm fine. I'll go. Yeah, yeah. I think so, that's what they said on the Sinisterhood. Yeah, but I didn't see it anywhere else, so I just want to throw that out there that potentially that happened. And then many hours later, so, again, this happened around, I would say, like, 3 or 4 o'clock, so they're like, okay, if he's 3 or 4 hours away, he should be home by, like, 7 or 8, right? 9 p.m. rolls around, which is much later. It's been now. That's six hours later. Yeah, that's not three, you know. So at 9 p.m., not having heard from him or him not responding to their calls and not seeing him come home, they actually call the California Highway Patrol. And the CHP officers arrive and search Bryce's car. They actually, well, he's there. He's there. But... They wanted to search his car for, like, drugs and alcohol because oh, right, he was right, acting yeah. so strange. Yeah. Or at least the parents are like, we, hey, maybe. Maybe they said something like, maybe he's on yeah, drugs. just plant some drugs on him and bring him home. <laughs> so they spotted his car in Lagoon, Dri- uh, Lagoon Drive in Button Willow. And they did not find any drugs or alcohol. And so the officers spent about 20 minutes with their son and... They ask the CHP officers, I believe, for Bryce to call him, to call them, and he doesn't want to. And, like, the officers are like, dude, he's a grown man. We can't do anything. We can't make him do anything. There's nothing wrong with him. So they leave. Yeah, 20 minutes is kind of a long time to be hanging out, too. Yeah, I think that they were trying, like, again, like, a lot of this stuff is kind of scarce, and I could have looked further, but I believe... That during this time, they're on the phone with the parents saying what's happening, but Bryce doesn't actually want to talk to his parents. And so after 10 p.m., so this is after the police have already left, they finally get their phone, their son on the phone and ask, what are you doing? And his response is, I'm going to hang with friends later. (laughs) 
But he's been like sitting here. He's been sitting there for, for like, like 16 hours at this point or something. It's like crazy how much time has passed. So 11 p.m. They get a hold of him again. And he tells them, I'm going to buy a beverage at a gas station nearby, probably still in Button Willow. And they do notice a charge on their credit card for $1.71. So that probably did happen. Mm-hmm. So shortly after midnight on Thursday, so now a couple more hours have passed. And this is where I think the timeline gets messed up because a lot of stuff happens around midnights. And so some accounts say it's Thursday and some accounts say it's Friday. So that's where it, it does get kind of confusing. So shortly after midnight, technically on Friday, even though it says Thursday, because Thursday already happened at this point, he tells them he's on the I-5 South, but nothing else. He won't tell them like how fast he's going, where he's going. They ask for him to, they ask for him, like, give us landmarks. What can you see? And he says, it's just dark. I don't know. Then they notice another charge on their credit card for $39 worth of gas at the Valero station on Lagoon Drive in Buttonwillow. So he's still in Buttonwillow at this point. But at least he's gotten gas and a beverage. By all accounts, I don't think he's eaten yet. Now we're on to Friday. And it's 1.50 in the morning. And Bryce by phone, I don't know who calls who, but he tells his mother that he detoured off the five was, but was back on the five. <laughs> so strange. At this point... The parents not going is just pissing me off. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's fucking nuts. It's been 24 hours at this point. It's a bit negligent. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the parents... And how many times do they shake the tire driver guy down? Well, so I know the Sinisterhood people made it seem like that he went, I think, a second time. But all the other accounts that I've read, it was just, like, another roadside service call. I don't think it was necessary. It may have been Christian because he may have been the only roadside assistance person. Right. In the area, but I'll, I'll get there. At 2.08 a.m. on Friday, Karen Lespiza talks to her son for the last time. And then I think, I find it difficult to believe. So I think that roadside assistance is called again at this point. He tells her that his GPS tells him that he will arrive in Laguna Niguel in the next three hours and 25 minutes. And he said, I got off the I-5 and I'm in a suburban area. I'm going to sleep in the car. This is so, this is super confusing. I'm it's just saying like. fucking weird story. It's a really, really weird story because, yeah, the Sinisterhood people did make it seem like Christian came out one more time and actually led him to the freeway because he didn't know how to get to the freeway. But I didn't actually see that anywhere. So I don't know if he actually did go out to the, to the site twice. I know he definitely went at least once. Right. But I don't know if he went twice. Well, those ladies were singing his praises and made it seem... Yes. Yeah, so if you're in Button Willow, go see Christian at Castro Tire and Gas, okay? Okay. From 2.08 to 5 a.m. on Friday, I believe this is August 29th at this point, Bryce makes three trips to the crash site in Caste- by Castaic Lake. Crash site? So we haven't gotten there yet, I know. So they know this because there actually is surveillance footage, like very, very, like, sketchy surveillance footage of his car basically circling this area. Like, it's almost like, I'm going to leave. No, I'm going to come back. No, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back. But it's so slow because it's over a course of three hours that his car circles Castaic Lake. Hmm, Weird. I know. So at 5.30 a.m., CHP officers locate his overturned SUV uh, on a paved access road that leads to the Castaic Lake main boat ramp at the bottom of a 20. I've seen it 15. I've seen it 25. I'm going to go with 25 because that's what it was in the episode I watched. Sounds more dramatic. Well, yeah. And I, you know, they show footage. It's it's steep. It's really steep. A gnarly two-story hill. Yeah. He goes down this 25-foot ravine. The car's on its side with its rear window smashed. Although he left his valuables, his laptop, his cell phone, and a wallet, a duffel bag is found near the rear of the car and is zipped open, prompting investigators to suspect he took something from it. He walked back from his car to a nearby lake with the crash, it appears. And the back window was smashed from the inside out, right? Yeah, not from the outside in. So no one smashed and grabbed anything, if anything... 
A lot of people said it could have broken from the impact, too. Yeah, because so, it rolled down the embankment, right? Yeah. So search parties were immediately set up in the area to find Bryce. Divers searched Castaic Lake for days and never found any trace of Bryce or his remains. A volunteer group searched campgrounds and other areas where Bryce may have been seeking shelter. So on Wednesday, September 4th, so this is about four days after he's gone missing or five days after he's gone missing, there was actually a brush fire in the area surrounding Castaic Lake and there was a body burning in the fire. And a lot of people thought it was going to be Bryce, right? Right. But the body was badly damaged, but not too badly damaged to eventually figure out that no, in fact, it was not Bryce. It was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> I don't... Is, yes. Is Reno... Is it between... Is it north of Reno? Oh, it could have been. Yes, it is. Um, but no, the, the victim was actually identified as Lamondra Miles, a 35-year-old man who had been shot in the torso before being dumped and set on fire in Castaic. So not D.B. Cooper. Not D.B. Cooper. So the Laspiza family, they hired a private investigator. They hired, but... She, I mean, she was working pro bono. So I don't know. But her name is Shannon Talos... Talos? 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 Shannon Tallis, who is in the Disappeared episode. She's pretty awesome. She believes that Bryce did not sustain enough injury in the accident to have taken his life during the wreck. And she also believes that he was able to walk away from the scene. I have a hypothesis. Uh, okay. What's, is wanna... it too early? Um, do you want me to finish up? Finish up. <laughs> okay. So multiple bloodhounds tracked Bryce's scent to a truck stop in Castaic on Castaic Road where it stopped. And so mm. a lot of people think that he went to the truck stop and thumbed his way out of there. You know, that makes me think of a lot of jokes I could say right now. Why? Truck stop, thumbing his way out. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't I, I said that. You did. Yes. But yeah, I, it sounds like you get hitched a ride. Yeah, it does. And the official search was led by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office and was called off three weeks after he disappeared. So that's why they are pretty dependent on the private investigator as well as psychics. And a lot of psychics say he's dead. A lot of psychics say he's not dead. So it very much varied and they have stopped kind of using the aid of psychics because... Psychics are bullshit for the most part. <laughs> yeah, these ones are. Yeah. They're like, he's alive. No, he's not alive. I don't know. Yeah. Are they using the magic eight ball? I, Ask I don't again know. later. Yeah. So in the years since his disappearance, the Spiza family has continued to regularly search the area where his vehicle was found. In 2015, they hired a sonar boat and searched the lake for two days. The private investigator worked with a drone operator during that same time. Nothing new was found in the lake or around the area. So what happened to Bryce? We're just going to start to get into some theories now. So do you want to throw yours out there? Well, I was thinking that obviously he has a pretty epic mental breakdown going on. And I was thinking maybe he just pieced out into the bush because where That's he was That's the biggest at, theory, yeah was a pretty, it's like wilderness, a small little town, like yeah. Northern California, right? Mm -hmm. But then you're saying the L.A. Uh, I think it's because his family was from. Oh, okay. Well, what's, that's weird. Because his family is actually Orange County. And Button I'm, Willow is like Bakersfield. So it is kind of weird that the L.A. I'm not sure why L.A. County would be involved. They just like to be nosy. I don't know. But um, but the truck stop thing makes me think he jumped into a truck. Exactly. But then, then what? Because he's a big dude, right? Big old red hair. I mean, dude. if the truck driver was going to Alaska, he could have hitched a ride to Alaska. If the truck driver was going to Minneapolis, I mean, like, who knows where the truck could have been going? Long haul truckers go far and far places, you know. Well, that's true. And he could have just stayed on. I mean, he by all accounts, I know that's probably the thing I say the most is by all accounts. But seriously, by all accounts, he was a very personable, chatty, friendly guy. So there's a really good chance that he didn't get kicked out of a truck. He could have 
been in that truck for like 20 hours with a long haul trucker, you know? I mean, you could have given the long haul trucker some Vivans. Yeah, truckers like meth too. Yeah. I should say, by all accounts, truckers like meth. <laughs> Bryce's mother has stated that she does not believe that he is voluntarily missing. So it sounds like she believes he was abducted or something. Or who's going to steal a redheaded M&M? I, I think that also what she means by voluntary is that maybe he hit his head and that he doesn't remember who he is. And so there is that idea of like, it's not voluntary because his brain isn't working correctly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a most actually, I think that's probably the most credible theory is that. I mean, I don't know what's credible with this with this kid, you know. So she here's a quote from the mother. She says, as his mom, he's my only child. And I know he wouldn't do this on purpose. His dad is on the same page, too. The first week we thought that maybe he thought that he had done something wrong and was ashamed. But after a week, we thought there was no way that he would just put everybody through this, not just his mom and dad, but also his family and friends. He loved life too much, and he was looking forward to so many things. It just doesn't make sense. And I, I do agree with her. Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe he maybe hitched the ride on a truck and did too much drugs. Well, I mean, and who died, got and who's, dumped in the woods. And who, Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying, and who's to say that the truck driver didn't harm him? Maybe he killed the truck driver and took the truck to Hollow Earth. It's a terrible theory. Well, so multiple search and rescue dogs. Oh shit! I already said that. <laughs> I stumped you with Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so again, sustaining a head injury or concussion during the car wreck, and maybe the the, the I guess most of the sightings of Bryce Laspiza has been homeless, like redheaded homeless people. And there's actually, like, images of redheaded homeless people that people have taken pictures of and, like, posted to the Facebook page and stuff. And you can – it's all over the internet. I don't think any of them look like him other than the fact that, you know, they have red hair. They have piercing blue eyes and diamond earrings. Usually they're passed out with, like, a bottle in front of them so you don't actually see their eyes. Oh. I'm not joking. Like, this, this, these are the pictures I've seen of people who claim that, like, oh, maybe this guy is Bryce Laspisa. But – it does seem like most people who have the sightings of him do believe that he's living somewhere in uh, the homeless community, either in Northern California or Central California, and that he, maybe he wandered around for a long time with no identification on him. Because remember, he left everything behind. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely be easy to get lost in that. Exactly. But lost, but not found. You know what I mean? Like, I just knowing that area and knowing that kind of desolate stretch, like... How would he even find like a homeless shelter or anything? You know, like I don't know how far away it is from Bakersfield, but I guess Bakersfield would be the most major city. Because, but I mean, I'm sure that the families search Bakersfield. I don't, you know, this it's crazy. Yeah, the Laspizas have left messages for Bryce on pages on missing and homeless Facebook pages, letting them know that they love him and miss him, and that they hope to see him again. There was a sighting as recently of uh, as April 2020. Oh, wow. And it was at a homeless shelter in Northern California. But that has gone kind of disproven, I guess. It kind of just was a thing for a second. And then, like, no one backed it up. And, and part of it is very difficult, too, because he's an adult. He's allowed to be missing if he wants to be. So even... If let's say this homeless person that was spotted in southern, you know, northern California, was Bryce Laspiza, he doesn't have to like go with in law enforcement back home. At this point, he's like twenty six years old. Yeah, he's allowed to be missing. That's that's the thing that also makes these cases so hard as well. Is that a lot of these people that go missing, they're allowed to go missing. Maybe he pulled like a Ted Kaczynski and just was like, I'm jumping off the grid and you know fuck the society of lies and bullshit hopefully that's as far as he went as ted kaczynski well i wasn't gonna say he's yeah. gonna start mailing bombs but you know he's just like fed up with this world and was like i want i'm gonna be free yeah but it does seem like his friends like i know he was weird in his last couple of days before he went missing but 
by all accounts. <laughs> I don't think he was being weird for the months before that. Yeah, that's I, yeah, and that's the thing. Like he was a happy go lucky guy. No, here. totally. Me too. This is why it keeps me up at night. <laughs> so Bryce's family has set up a Facebook group titled Find Bryce Laspiza. If you want to join it, I have joined it. They kind of update whenever there's been a sighting, and then they kind of give you an update as to, like, if that sighting was credible or not. Obviously, there has not been any credible sightings in their mind. And this is also where they offer their $5,000 reward for information leading to Bryce's return. And also, just so people know, his dental records, his DNA, and his fingerprints have all been entered into NamUs and other databases in case he does show up somewhere at one of these points. So it's not like, you know, a random person that's dead or fingerprints left behind at a scene or something. Like, he would pop up. Right. So in November 2018, an internet hoax circulated with photos of Bryce and information stating that he had been found. It's very, very, very sad to note that this was just some stupid fucking internet hoax. Yeah. Why do people do that that shit? I don't know. I think it's to get hits. Like, oh shit, Bryce Lespeza's been found. Because Bryce Lespeza is a fairly large case. Like, so you're saying like getting money from like clickbait or something? Yeah. I guess. That's fucked up. Um, It is unknown where this information originally came from. And the Lespeza family has stated that it was false on their Facebook page. But yeah, so. It's like when that. the Johnny Gosh thing when people were telling oh, the parents that. that like, oh, yeah, we've seen your kid. And yeah. Like, or like, like they're getting mail and all this weird shit. They're getting mail and phone tips like, oh, I saw him. Like, and so they're just fucked. like fucking with the family. Yeah. It's totally like a mental illness thing that fucked up people do to like make them. They insert themselves in the crime or make themselves feel important. Right. The, yeah. It's just like terrorizing a fucking family who's obviously going through it. But yeah, the theories basically are is that it was an attempted suicide either with like some kind of drugs or something or maybe he was trying to crash into the lake and didn't make it all the way and then like there was accidental amnesia so it was like a failed suicide attempt slash amnesia there is also a lot of people point out on this is now i'm kind of going into some reddit theories here a lot of people point out that the sketchiness with his parents in the days you know during his disappearance basically that that might point to something, but like I don't... Like their reluctance to come help him or something like that? I guess. Like, I think that it's just, like, it bothers a lot of people why, like, his parents not coming there, that maybe there's more to it that they're just not letting people know. That maybe there was a big blowout or something, mm-hmm. and that may have added to, like, his mental state. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Um, another really interesting theory that I don't think is super popular, but somebody did throw out there on Reddit, is that he was actually waiting for a drug dealer. He That's why he was waiting. He was not willing to move is because he was waiting for some drug deal that never came through. You know, we've all been there. I have but not. no one's waiting 16 hours. I know. It's not, I'm not saying it's a great theory, but it's just another theory that maybe like he was involved in larger drug things than we think. And that maybe the 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 shipment he was waiting for was like a huge one and maybe waiting 16, 24 hours for it was actually worth it. I don't know. Maybe he was a drug mule, you know? I mean, I guess you can't rule it out. Yeah. Drug cartels can definitely make people disappear. Yeah. Somebody then on the Reddit thread, too, was just talking about the, the to not discount the effects of Vyvanse especially if you're not prescribed it and how it can really, really fuck you up and make you have like a psychotic break, especially if you're pairing it with alcohol. So there were just a lot of people like, hey, wasn't necessarily all mental illness, wasn't necessarily like depression, wasn't necessarily a lot of things. It may have just been like a total freak out and he could have totally just lost control of the wheel and it was a total accident, not necessarily an attempted suicide. He could have just freaked out and hit the gas pedal, you know? You know, he was just sitting in that car for hours and hours, just sitting there, not doing anything for fucking ever. Who knows what was going through his mind? Yeah. And that's what's weird, too, is that they didn't find drugs in the car. I mean, obviously, they haven't found his body. But I'm just saying that, like, he was calm on the phone. He didn't alert the CHP officers or anything like that to, like, strange behavior and then there was just so much inaction for like practically 24 hours to then all of a sudden just race off of like a hill towards, you know, down a ravine 
Like, that is weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, again, I've never... Mental illness is fucking tweaked, man. I've had some friends... And drugs that, are a hell of a drug. You know, th- th- that's a good combination for some fucking... Fucked, fu- yeah. Insanity that makes no sense. Yeah. So, I just want to give a quick description of him. And we actually kind of live somewhat in the area that he might be. So, do be on the lookout for the reddest head you've ever seen before in your life. Bryce is a white... Mi- Bryce is a white male with red slash orange hair and blue eyes. He is approximately 5'10 and 160 pounds. He has a tattoo of a Taurus bullhead and his birthday in Roman numerals on his upper left arm. At the time of his disappearance, Bryce was wearing a blue and white checkered t-shirt, white cargo shorts, and size 12 red and white Nikes. You can call the local law enforcement 949-292-4400 or they suggest you can also just call 911 because he is considered a missing and um, like a what's like the like a fragile missing person endangered endangered missing person. So you can also just call 911 if you feel like you have spotted Bryce Lespiza. He's not believed to be armed or dangerous or anything like that but i believe they've said like not to approach him necessarily because he, he might not bad be well. taste and shitty hip-hop <laughs> shut the fuck up um you can email uh i don't know why you would unless you had a sighting of him and it'd be weird to email and not call 911 but the email that his parents manage is called find bryce Lespiza at gmail.com and that's f-i-n-d B-R-Y-C-E, and his last name is L-A-S-P-I-S-A. Find Bryce Lespiza at gmail.com. And you can also find him, I mean, you can also find his missing page under facebook.com slash find Bryce Lespiza if you have tips and or just want to learn more about the case if you find yourself going on a road trip in California. So that is the fucked up case of Bryce Lespiza that weirdly keeps me up at night. I think the part that keeps me up at night too is the fact that this was super preventable in a sense. His parents could have just at any point and I'm going to put it on them. Well, they could have at any point jumped in the car. They could have jumped in the car and rolled out there. But, he but was then an, what? he's an adult. Right. Well, if both of them had went the mom could have taken one car and the dad could have taken the other. They could have driven their fucking obviously mentally broke down son home. You mean kidnapped an unwilling man? He he would have been fine. I don't think he would have been unwilling if they showed up. It's just so sad to think that so much inaction happened for like 24 hours. And as a result, this catastrophic thing happens and he's been missing now for seven years. Yeah, hindsight. Exactly. I feel bad for his family, but at the same time, I, if you called me, because, you know, there's been many times where you're driving back alone from Northern California, you know, like from Portland. If you had called me, you already know this for a fact and vice versa. If you called me from five hours away and said, I don't feel right or whatever. Do you think I would even hesitate jumping in the car and going to get you? No. And I've done that before. Remember, um, there was a time where your flight got canceled in Seattle. Seattle, And I drove. I think it happened more than once. (laughs) I think it's happened a couple of times where you're just like, I cannot stay at this airport any longer. I need to come home right now. And I've gone and picked you up in Seattle, which was two and a half hours away from Portland. That's when I knew you were the one. (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, if I would do that for you, don't you think that you would do that for your own flesh and blood? I mean, you would think so. I mean, if they're willing to call CHP and Christian at Castro Tires, don't you think? I don't know. Obviously, they knew something was wrong. It just, it so bothers me. And it's not like he was 25 years old or 30 years old. He's 19, and also that's like a prime time for a lot of, you know, fucked up things to come to fruition, like to manifest in young men, especially like exactly Mm -hmm. like um, 
What What are some of the things? I don't know. Oh, schizophrenia. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, like paranoid schizophrenia. That's something that comes usually Dementia. in the early. No, that usually comes in the early twenties and stuff. Like it definitely happens. So it's yeah. just like insane. I don't know. It just the parents don't seem stupid. Like. Watching them, seeing how upset they are, it's like if you were if you're that upset now, like I don't know, I I'm not totally putting it on the parents, but goddamn, I don't know. They definitely couldn't have foreseen this happening. That's very true. Yeah, so that's the case this week. Frustrating, huh? Yeah. This is why we don't do disappearances very often. Like I said, you like a nice, neat, linear story: a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this one has no end. No end. It's like a Just circle. like this second lockdown. Ugh, COVID. Yeah. Fucking no Thanksgiving for you. You know, at work today, I had multiple calls from old ladies uh, wanting to, like, place orders for, like, parts of turkeys because I'm eating all alone this oh. year. I know. It's fucking sad. Oh, that's so sad. I know. I, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, it actually bummed me out. I know this COVID thing can fucking suck it. Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. Well, we're not going to be gone for Thanksgiving. We're going to be better and put out an episode before we're going to get by Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're going to get drunk on gravy and do an episode like <laughs> half catatonic. <laughs> so you can find us on all of our socials like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and stuff. You know how to find us. We're not that hard to find. And follow us on any of the podcast platforms. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about our podcast. Anything else? And if you don't know where to find us, just type in truecrimedumpster.com on something. I guess on the in the internet. You, you'll find us. <laughs> Not on like a like a TI-84 calculator. Yeah, no, just scratch it on the side of a building and, and something we'll be, will, we'll, and we'll be there. Turn off the lights in the bathroom and spin around counterclockwise three times. We'll be there. You'll wake up in a dumpster. I can <laughs> guarantee you. All right. Well, join us next week when we keep talking out the trash and have a good one. Bye now. Bye. Bye.